When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Welcome to the family with Hackmaster Ralph W. Basham, MD. Andy Brant Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. <clears throat> we will be right back, kick off hour two with the family. It's time for Team KQ Walzer's third annual Tour to Cure ride. Join me, Doug Sprinthal, Michael Bryant, and a ragtag group of riders as we raise money to fight diabetes. This year, the ride is Saturday, June 1st, and starts at Boom Island. We take the 26-mile route. It's a ride, not a race, so people of all abilities are welcome. It's a worthy cause that raises millions to support research for a cure for this terrible disease. Go to diabetes.org slash kqwalzer or email doug at walzer.com for more information. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. Well, that's a good song. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you, uh, tell me when Arthur's ready to go, and that should be pretty Nothing interesting, yet. I would think. Nothing yet. Um, yeah, Arthur Brooks' The Pursuit is in theaters April 29th, which is six days from today. Pretty interesting guy, Arthur Brooks, the president of AEI, American Enterprise Institute in D.C. He's listed as a progressive-leaning conservative. Featured on many national political shows. Brooks is a columnist for the Washington Post, so I'd like to ask him about that headline today, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, that uh, Sri Lankan bombings uh, 
upset right-leaning, far-right Americans, not right-leaning, but far-right Americans. i got to believe a lot more than far-right Americans were upset by that. Yeah, you would think. I don't know why they would run an article about that, but, yeah, let me know uh, if... if, Oh, there uh, he is. uh, Oh, you got him, okay. Uh Arthur Brooks, how are you, sir? There you go. Arthur. Arthur. Our Mr. Brooks. I think he's being connected. Oh, he's being connected now. Okay, yeah, whenever he's got, whenever he's connected, just let me know. He will pop on, I'm sure. Um, some of the things that Arthur wants to talk about, and I, I'd love to talk to him about them. Hatred is real in our country and exemplify it in our culture and politics. We need to stop tolerating what we hate and make it known. That is when a visionary and authoritative uh, uh, political leader will step up. I ho- yeah, my God, I hope that's true. Uh, hello, Arthur. Oh, well, there you are. Good. Excellent. Excellent. We got you. Arthur Brooks with us, ladies and gentlemen. The Pursuit is in theaters on April 29th. I was just telling the listeners while we were being connected there that you describe yourself as a progressive-leaning conservative. You could yeah. you'd probably get raked over the coals for calling yourself that, don't you? <laughs> By both parties, well, I imagine. Kind of, you still... Pretty much everybody is. Nobody likes that, yeah. <laughs> I, I do like yeah, I mean, it, actually. These labels are so funny, aren't they? Yeah, right? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I I just, uh, we've been talking quite a bit about, you know, the last uh, few days of events and how some people won't even use certain words anymore because I I don't, Arthur, I just, I want to follow your lead. I don't want to get you involved in something that, uh, you know, you might not want to even talk about. But so I want to follow your lead. The Pursuit is in theaters on April 29th, six days from now. It offers insight on capitalism versus socialism and the political divide, bringing a civility back to our country. Boy, you got a big job ahead of you, Arthur, if you can bring civility back to America. <laughs> Actually, it's a, I, don't, I don't want civility. Civility is like, I think it's a terrible standard. Because if I said, I said, you know, if I said, look, my wife and I are civil to each other, you'd say we need counseling, right? I mean, yeah, I, I, I actually think that we can, we can, I think we can do better than civility. I think that we can disagree like crazy and actually love each other. Um, that's what happens in good communities. And that's, you know, and by love, I mean to will the good of each other, uh, not some feeling, not some sentimentality. I mean, I think that we as mm-hmm. a country should have great love for each other. So that's the point of the book that I wrote, just called Love Your Enemies. And the, and the movie, The Pursuit, has a very strong point of view, a very strong democratic capitalist point of view to it. But I take everybody else's opinions pretty seriously and try to evaluate them on their merits and don't treat anybody with disrespect, I think. Yeah, I love that Brooks is the author of Love Your Enemies, How Decent People Can Save America from Our Culture of Contempt. You know, it's kind of kind of sad to tell you the truth is, Arthur, I, uh, I'm probably a little bit older than you. But I look back, when I was... Uh, a teenager, about 14, 15 years old, back in the 60s. The um, 60s were a horrible period in America where many, many of our leaders were shot dead in the streets, whether it was you know, John Kennedy, then Bobby Kennedy, and Martin Luther King, who was my hero as a child. And you just go down the list, a ton of hatred running rampant in America. And then I made the mistake a couple nights ago watching the new movie. Uh, it was a great movie. Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson and Kathy Bates about Bonnie and Clyde and the people, yeah, even though Bonnie too. and Clyde... Yeah, you've seen it? Yeah, yeah, I saw it, yeah. Oh, 
Well, here's the part that upset me, Arthur, because now we're going back to 1934. First, we go from 2019 yep. back to 1965. Now we go back to 1934, where even though Bonnie and Clyde killed at least 13 people, probably more like 35 people, people just worshipped them. Oh, my God, they're, they're, they're killing the bankers. We love this whole thing. They're... they're uh, what happens, Arthur, to cause, and I understand the Depression and the Dust Bowl and all the rest of it, and people thought that the banks were ripping them off, even though I don't know what the banks were supposed to do, but the 30s, the 60s, now the, the, the teens, uh, you know, the 20 teens. Why does this keep repeating itself in America, do you think, Arthur? Well, populism almost always follows a period of a real envy, which comes after financial crises. And so, you know, in the Bonnie and Clyde mm-hmm. era, people have to recognize that it was the worst financial crisis that, that right. Americans had ever experienced, and, and certainly was as bad or even worse than 2008 in this country. But you always get 10 years of growth where all of the rewards to economic growth go to the top 10% of the income distribution. That's just a fact. And you, know, you could have any economist, right, right, left, or center, running the Federal Reserve or the Treasury or whatever, and we, we, don't, we literally don't know how to solve that problem. And so the result is you get populist politicians who say somebody's ripping you off and I'm going to get your stuff right. back. And there's a lot of theological impact from that. I mean, whether or not, who's the, who are the people ripping you off? Like bankers, rich people, immigrants, right. foreigners. You, you fill it in, right or left. There's these populists are always the other. And that has big downstream impacts. It can actually lead to violence. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and that's my one great fear right now, Mr. Brooks is that people are going to get violent to the point, like I said, watching it as a young teen, people get, get shot down in the streets, our, our great leaders, and uh, I, I just, well, that's just exactly, kind of feels. That's how the French Revolution started. That's how Nazi yeah, Germany yeah, started. Is. That's how uh, Khmer Rouge started. Uh, just people saying, yeah. oh, someone sure, said, absolutely. let's go kill all the people who have everything and we'll take it all. And that's basically what they did. Yeah. Yeah, in the 60s, for example, um, you know, Ken Burns, who did that wonderful film on Vietnam, yeah. uh, he reminded yep. me that there were 700 domestic bombings in 1968 and 1969. You know, and yep. that was basically, it was almost all on the political left, that bombing that occurred. And, and then the assassinations that we saw, much of it was, were people that were trying to assassinate progressive leaders. And so it's not relegated to one side or another. You know, you go on some right. campuses today and you'll get, right. like at Middlebury College, where one of my colleagues, was assaulted by Antifa protesters. They were wearing hoods. They were covering their faces. They were, they were attacking, physically attacking people because of a point of view on a college campus. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a really, this is a really hard time for the country. It really is, and it's uh, you know, I, I, to to go through it for a second time, and I suppose you know, people quite a bit older than me, it might even be some people out there in their eight, late eighties that have been through this the, the third time now. So maybe it's getting a little old, but I, I just um, – I don't really understand the, the disconnect of – I got to ask you about this. And if you don't want to comment on this, I understand because, you know, you're a columnist for The Washington Post. But I did see the headline. I believe it was either yesterday or this morning. I don't know. I, I do a morning show too, so my days kind of run together a lot. But the, the – basically the implication was that the Sri Lankan bombings angered only the far left of America – or, excuse me, far right of America. I don't know. Did you see that headline? Yeah, and I, I think that that was probably a hasty headline. I don't think that it actually yeah. reflected 
what people were. I, and you know, they also ran it with a with a photo that was of a bunch of Pakistani Catholic nuns. So, which doesn't yeah. look like you know the American far right to me <laughs> so very much. So I, I, <laughs> so I think there's a lot of stuff going on in that story that maybe was inconsistent. <laughs> With, and I don't think uh, – I wouldn't read too much into that, in other words. Yeah, I, I just – I find it unfortunate that it even happens. And it, that stuff doesn't – I think if I were, you know, 20 years ago, I'd, I'd get angered by things like that. And the fact that our president and Hillary Clinton won't even say the word Christian anymore, like Christianity is a much worse religion than any other religion. To me, religion's religion. And if it makes you happy, I'm very, very happy for you. And I don't condemn any religion. But apparently uh, now uh, Easter worshipers is the route to take. Uh, Arthur, you would know a lot more about this than I. Is it a coincidence that 16 politicians referred to the the Christians killed in Sri Lanka? And I'm not a religious guy, by the way. I should mention that, Arthur. I'm not. I was raised Catholic, but I'm not religious. You know, once again, if you're if your religion doesn't bother anybody else and it makes you happy, I'm very happy for you. But I don't think it was a coincidence that, uh, that 16 politicians used the phrase Easter worshipers rather than Christians. Do you, do you know what would drive that? I don't. I, who knows? I think that it, it, you know, it didn't really catch my attention particularly, and I am traditionally religious. I am a, a practicing Christian, a Catholic, uh, like you were raised. Okay. And you know, when they said Easter worshipers, I, I thought what they meant was people who were worshiping on Easter. I think that that's what what they meant. Yeah. I didn't I didn't see it as people purposely trying to stay away from the term Christian. Um, you know, maybe they did, but that didn't actually strike me um, as really controversial. Did it did, did it bother yeah. you? Did it make it sound weird to you? Well, no, the only reason it was weird to me is because 16 people came up with it at the exact same time. So I thought, that's kind of odd. Yeah, the specific terminology yeah. is the weird thing about yeah. it. Because it's not it's like weird. that's a common thing yeah, to no, say. Yeah, I, I got it. it is, it's awkward. It's true. You know, because I'm not an Easter worshiper. I'm a Christian. Yeah. You know, I worship right, on Easter, right. but, yeah, I don't know. So, <laughs> who knows? Maybe they all read the same article in the Washington Post and the New York Times. Yeah, there's a possibility. So, so one thing about... Uh, the pursuit and, and about your book that I really love is you point out all these different things that I, I'll just read this paragraph if you don't mind. Uh, it offers insight on capitalism versus socialism and the political divide, bringing civility back to our country, why tolerance and civility are not the answer, eradicating global poverty. We pulled 2 billion people out of poverty and why every person deserves the opportunity to pursue happiness, education, and employment. I could not agree with that any, any more than I do. I agree with you 100% yeah. on those things. Do most people agree with you? I hope. Yeah, no, they do, mostly. And, and in the film, in The Pursuit, and I hope everybody goes to watch the trailer, thepursuitmovie.com, and you can actually see the trailer. You can see where it's showing around the country, and then you can, you can watch it digitally in, in just a few weeks. Um, and then later in the summer, even on Netflix. And, you know, if, when you watch this, you'll, you'll, you'll see in the movie, I, I go and I meet a bunch of people who belong to the Democratic Socialists of America, um, and, and they don't disagree about helping people. You know, the thing that I, you know, I'm on, mm-hmm. I'm on the political right, uh, and I mean, there's no, no secret about that. And I hear, but I hear a lot of people on the political right, people who agree with me, who think that people on the political left want to keep people poor to keep them voting Democratic, or they just want power. And you know, I actually think that's wrong. I, and and part of it is because I grew up with people on the political left, but also I just know a lot and I interview a lot of people in this movie, and they have good hearts and they want a lot of the same things that I do. I just think that I have a better way to alleviate poverty and to lift people into greater opportunity than they do. And so. So that's the kind of competition of ideas I want to have in America. 
I wish everyone could be as understanding as you are uh, of opposing views. I mean, but not even, but different views, not even opposing totally, but different views. People are not good at agreeing with people who have a different viewpoint than they do. Uh, You seem to be very good at that. Well, part of the problem in America today is that there's a small minority of people in politics and in media and on campuses and in entertainment that are invested in getting us to hate each other and to not, and to not mm-hmm. be able to talk to each other. I mean, there's this, it's funny. I mean, our parents taught us growing up that, that people should be separated from the things that they say and the things that they do. So you can have contempt for somebody's ideas, but you should never have contempt for another person. You can hate somebody's opinions, but you should never hate another person. And and the reason for that is hugely practical. You you can't redeem somebody that you hate. You can only redeem somebody that you love. You know, nobody in history has ever been insulted into agreement. You know, and I'm in the the business of trying to persuade people. And and by the way, I want to be persuaded, too, if somebody's got a better argument than me. And I just can't do that unless I'm listening sincerely, treating people with respect, and talking to people as if they're my brothers and sisters. There's just no other way. Otherwise, I'm just locking down my base. I'm just, you know, in in these terrible Twitter wars all the time. And, you know, man, life is too short for that. Well, it is. And, you know, I'm sure as a public figure, you get attacked on social media. I do. Most people do. And I think a lot of that is, oh, Arthur Brooks is a success. Well, I better go after him. (laughs) It's kind of weird that they do (laughs) that. What happens it's weird. It's sort of weird. I mean, basically, if you want to, number one, you can get your jollies from having people attack each other and say terrible things to each other. The most amazing yeah. thing is people who are kind of pulling up the popcorn and watching famous people trash each other on Twitter. Right. But more than anything else, there are people who are getting rich and powerful and famous uh, on in these kind of wars that we have ideologically, and it's it's hurting our country because the country is being ripped apart. It's it's clear. I've got a lot of in the in the. to love your enemies in the book, I have a lot of studies that show that it's making us unhappy as individuals. So we don't persuade anybody. We're unhappy. The country is not coming together, which is horrible because, you know, the rest of the world, as I point out in in the movie, in The Pursuit, the world needs us. There are poor people all over the world who need democratic capitalism. And every minute that we're fighting with each other is a minute that we're actually not spreading the gospel of democratic capitalism to poor people around the world. And look, for us, it's inconvenient. For them, it's deadly. They could die of starvation if we don't bring democratic capitalism as fast as possible to the rest of the world. Do you, are you stacked up over the airport with interviews today because we just reached the end of your 15 minutes, but I, if you possibly could stick around, I just have a very quick break. Do you have, do you have five more minutes or do you have to do it? I love it. Are you kidding? I I got time for you guys. You guys are great. Arthur, you're you're the guy. I I could not pick a better guy to talk to today, other than you, because you do understand. And by the way, before we go to break, I will say this: the only thing that did upset me about uh, Easter worshippers is my mother was an ardent Roman Catholic. She was a very loving person, a, a big time Christian. So you're kind of insulting my mother in a way, but I'm very touchy along those lines, Arthur. I just will tell you, I'm a I'm a mama's boy. I know I'm a mama's boy. I, I got it. And you should be. <laughs> I love my mom, too. <laughs> we'll be right back in a couple minutes more with Arthur Brooks, The Pursuit in Theaters. Uh, the book, of course, called Love Your Enemies, How Decent People Can Save America from Our Culture of Contempt. Right back. More with Arthur right after this. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants 
and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me, too? No. Thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. You I still are. never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't. <laughs> Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. Spring is here, and there's no better time to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they want to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK spring savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them I sent you and save 500 bucks on your LASIK. Offer expires June 21st, 2019. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offers. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Arthur Brooks. Not the quite. movie, The Pers- Because he had to go. Or not back in? Oh, he had to go? It seems so. Oh, damn it. That's too bad. Yeah. I really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah, I did. a lot of times these guys don't, uh, they don't know when they have to go. When the segment's up, the segment's up. And he probably had another interview right afterward that he would not have known about. Yep. But I, I am reading what he's saying here, and, and this will all work out. I thought he was a great, uh, great interview. Uh, the Pursuit is in theaters on April 29th, six days from now. And, of course, uh, his book, uh, Love Your Enemies, How Decent People Can Save America from Our Culture of Contempt, ArthurBrooks.com. A lot of things he talks about in here uh, I could not agree with more. He, he, he makes really... Good points. Hatred is real in our country and exemplified in our culture and politics. We need to stop tolerating what we hate and make it known. That is when a visionary and authoritative uh, political leader will step up. Social media is making us lonely and unhappy. Technology always hurts us in the beginning because it is a substitute for human relationships. Social media companies need to be held to a level of responsibility and new forms of government regulation. I I just I couldn't agree with this guy more. I could Mm -hmm. not agree with him more. You know, damn it, I wish he could have said. And I kind of thought, you know, 15 minutes, they're probably going to yank him. But you give yeah. it a whirl, and once in a while you get an extra five minutes or something. But And I certainly understand that. Arthur Brooks, the president of AEI American Enterprise Institute in D.C. He is a progressive-leaning conservative and featured on many national political shows. Brooks is a columnist for The Washington Post, best-selling author of 11 books. But it's just, um, I like his, his viewpoints. It, 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 Figure out what it is you really hate. What is it that you really hate? And then let's get it out there and uh, and handle it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the way he puts it, let's stop tolerating what we hate. The only reason you're tolerating what you hate is because you don't really know for sure exactly what it is. That would be my guess anyway. You think that's true? Well, there's too many things to hate. 
That's the thing. It's yeah. just way, way too, way too <laughs> That's much. That's a good, a good There's way too many, and there are too many different things to hate. So depending on what your point of view is, you're hating something different than somebody else. So no one can come up to one thing and say, hey, we don't want to see our any of our children not be immunized because of uh, cost constraints. We don't, you know, there's some things that we don't want in our, those are the things we should hate rather than hating each other, hating some politician because they don't say the right things on Twitter. I mean, there's a thousand, there's a thousand things like that to just it's get away from this this culture of hatred and that, and that's what i've said before about well so many uh, so many elections have been based on hatred not based on politics not based on that's yeah, trying to fix yeah, something oh no i hate this guy i'm not gonna i'm gonna i don't hate this i hate this party and we're i'm gonna i'm gonna turn them out that doesn't make sense well oh, i think arthur might be back yeah. nice really i'm back arthur Yay. god arthur we missed you horribly the three minutes you were gone Uh, I hope you didn't hear what I was saying because I said I could not agree more with everything you say because I don't want to sound like a suck-up, Arthur, but I'm just telling you. But you are. (laughs) But apparently I am. Well, I appreciate it, Tom. It's like, you know, there are two of us who think this way. That's good. (laughs) (laughs) We're there. What I really like about you is you say you're a progressive-leaning conservative. You're taking a chance. You're rolling dice that everybody might hate you either for being a progressive or a conservative, and you're both. <laughs> so I yeah. love that. I mean, I, mean I, have, I have conservative ideas on how to make progress is the point. And one of the things that people don't like about conservatives, they don't believe, they don't think that we believe in progress. But the truth is, look, everybody, all of us on this conversation right now, and everybody who's listening to us, they all descend from ambitious riffraff, all of us. I mean, that's a great thing for America. Right? Yes. I mean, it's like it's scratching out potatoes or, or you know, running from a pogrom or, or being even brought to this country involuntarily. But we all have this thing in common that we, we want to get ahead. We want to have opportunity. We're really proud of that of the, in this country. And so for that reason, we, we're different than Europeans. We're different than European conservatives. We believe progress is possible. That's why our ancestors came to America. And so that's what being a progressive is all about, is being living in progress. And it turns out that, that conservative policy ideas, in my view, in my humble view, because, look, I mean, I, I, I'm wrong on things a lot, but my view is that, that conservative policy ideas are the best way to make progress. That's it. I think it's just wonderful. I, I just, and by the way, I'm really glad you came back. If you have just 60, I want to, I want to tell you because you're, you are a Christian and a Catholic. I, I, and by the way, I love the Catholic culture. You know, people don't realize that, that, that they're, yeah, they're Christians, but there's a, a separate Catholic culture that I really enjoyed growing up in as well. But very quickly, yeah. my mother died on Easter Sunday 11 years ago. So she upstaged Jesus, basically, when she died. You know, she dies on Christmas morning, on Easter morning. But here's my favorite thing. The last time I saw my mother alive, she was in, and my mother and I, like I said, we were very close, and she sticks her hand out, and I take her hand. She goes, Tommy, I don't think I want to die. I said, Mom, she's 87. I said, Mom, you know, it, look, it's 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 going to be fine. You've had faith your entire life, and you know, maybe you could you could meet Jesus and you can meet God, and you know, you even get to your hero. Your whole life has been the Virgin Mary. What if you get to meet the Virgin Mary? There's a long pause, and she says, "Oh, don't give me that." <laughs> Which is really that's really nice. She had this faith your whole life, and when you need it, you just cave in. I love that about her. Yeah, but uh, although I bet you, I bet you she died peacefully and she died well after a yep. lifetime of raising her family. Yep. And, and it was, where, where did you grow up, Tom? In Minneapolis. 
I, I grew up in the inner city. Yeah, I have a very, very poor family. family. Yeah. Very poor. Yeah. Very, yeah, absolutely. It was, what did your dad, it was pretty damn did your dad cool. do for a living? My father was what schizophrenic. Your, and, uh, your, he was, well, he was institutionalized. He was, uh, when I was, uh, so you, I think so you was, had a hard, you had a hard childhood. You had a hard oh, childhood, yeah. didn't you? But I had a very happy childhood because I loved the people I was with, my brothers and sisters, my mother. You know, I loved the. It was wonderful. What, what made you into a conservative? I, my mother was not a conservative. She was, and by the way, that's one thing I did want to talk to you about. Maybe we're going to have to uh, connect another time to talk about this. But I don't like what these people are doing to my mother's Democratic Party. She was very, very proud to be a Democrat. And the, the, the Democrats that she was talking about are not a whole lot like the extreme positions of the very far left or the far right. But, um, yeah, I, I just, uh, now I forgot the question because I got a mil. Arthur, you're doing this to me. I got a yeah. million things running through my mind wanting to talk to you about. <laughs> and I keep butting up against my own thoughts. It's not good. Anyway, so what was no, the question? Good. I mean, it's just, you know, because you have an interesting, you have a very interesting background. You know, your mom was a Democrat. You're, you had a hard scrabble life, and you turned out to be a conservative. This is a super American story, you know, and, and this is the kind of story that people need to hear. You know, there's a reason that you think that conservative ideas are better. I mean, it's not because mm-hmm. you hate it. You, you want to help people who are growing up like you, right? Yes, absolutely. And my wife and I do. My wife's great about that stuff. Um, yeah, so, so I would say... Maybe kind of like you, I am a progressive-leaning conservative. If I take those, you know, those little tests, and I can't remember the actual questionnaire and all the rest of it, the name of it, but every time I take one of those viewpoint uh, quizzes or, or tests, I come out leaning left of center because I do want to help everybody. I want to make sure that everybody is taken care of. I don't want to watch people starve in the streets. I like to see people institutionalized if they need to be institutionalized. And our healthcare system is not taking care of that right now. It makes me very, very sad because my father was extremely ill. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess that's where, where my progressive thinking comes from. But the conservative part is I can't have you running all over people to get your point across. Can we, Let's just work together. If we possibly can and get things done, I just want things to get done, Arthur. Yeah, no, I, I, I got it. And you want people to have opportunity. You want people to be yep. able to lift themselves up of their own initiative. Yep. You don't want to treat poor people like charity cases, but rather like assets nope. in the human family. And look, you know, this is what liberals and conservatives mostly both want, and that's the kind of conversation we need to have is a competition of ideas based on shared moral values. And that's exactly not what the media and political class are giving us today. That's the problem. I could not agree more, whether it's newspapers, and I know you work for the Washington Post, but I work in radio. It's radio, television, and newspapers are taking a very odd position right now. And I understand the business has changed quite a bit. Newspapers, uh, you know, aren't, aren't doing as well as they used to. Radio's not doing as well as it used to. Broadcast television is almost disappearing other than sports. So our world has changed quite a bit from the time I was a, a young man. Uh, so I, I just think a lot of people trying to keep those those readers and those viewers and those listeners alive will take very extreme positions, and I don't think that helps anybody. You know, you're trying to keep your business alive, yeah, no, but you're right. using I mean, people to do it. Yeah. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of things I could do to make a better living. I could probably sell meth. I hear that's very profitable, <laughs> um, but I choose not to do it. Right. 
That's a good idea, Arthur. That's some pretty clear thinking on your part, yeah. I will tell you that. Well, I'm telling how you, did, how I'm did, telling you, my mother would not have been proud of me. <laughs> no. So uh, how did you get where you are, Arthur? Because I love the fact that you ask, ask questions like that, but I'm very interested. How, how did you achieve all the things you've achieved? How did that happen? I've been a very lucky man. I mean, I grew up in a family that was extremely supportive of, uh, you know, a liberal family in Seattle, Washington. My mother was an artist. My father was a college professor. And, so, you know, what do you think their politics were? But they always <laughs> encouraged me to think for myself. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's very inconvenient for them that I thought for myself, quite frankly, because I became, uh, you know, I got a leadership position in the conservative intellectual movement. And so, you know, they had to answer a lot of questions. What's this deal with your crazy right-wing son? But I have to say, I mean, my parents were incredibly supportive of that, and they made me feel like I could do what I wanted to achieve, and that I, could, and that I had a high value for education and ideas, and, and a lot of love for people who disagree with me, quite frankly. And so what I thrive in is an environment where people don't agree, but they, they express love for each other. I mean, that's, man, that's, that's America. That's the America I want to live in. You know, you know, that is exactly right. Arthur, you know, you brought something up right when you first started about the intolerance, or you alluded to the intolerance of uh, diversity of ideas in college campuses. Yet you are a product of tolerating differences in thought from a college campus. And, and it, it's the most saddest thing in the world to, under, to hear that there's not the tolerance anymore on the college campuses for any yeah. kind of thought other than ultra-liberal. Yeah, you know, there's, there, and I think that that's actually a temporary problem. I think that it's getting better. Um, my own university, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm the president of AEI right now, which is a big think tank in Washington. I'm leaving this summer and to be a professor at Harvard University. And, you know, Harvard University hired me to bring more intellectual diversity, uh, idea diversity to their campus. So they're, you know, that's it, it's the greatest university in America, obviously. So there's some good things happening. There's just a lot of things that we need to do. And so one of the things, you know, all the conservative people are watching, listening to us today, particularly young people, you know, going into the academy with the idea of sharing ideas, not to be pugilistic and not to be a jerk and not to act like a victim or whine, just go saying, I have these good ideas and in, in, in a spirit of sharing, I want to I reach out to other people and expand their point of view. And that's how I've seen it. And that's how I'm going to go teach at Harvard. And, you know, you know, props to Harvard for, you know, wanting more yeah. diversity on their campus with a guy like me. It's very, very smart. Arthur, I do have to ask you a question because we only do have about two minutes. You've been so great today. Do you know that you intimidate the hell out of people? Because I bet you do. <laughs> yeah, not so much. I mean, yeah, who's intimidated by a 55-year-old bald guy? Not so many people. You might be able to outthink them, though, Arthur. That's what I'm thinking. They might be thinking, oh, God, I don't know. I, 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 but I love the position. I like a 55-year-old bald guy. That works for me, Arthur. That works. Yeah. It worked, fortunately, it still works for my wife. That's all I can say. Thank God. Yes. Uh, I couldn't agree more. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Love Your Enemies, How Decent People Can Save America from Our Culture of Contempt. I could not agree more. The Pursuit is in theaters, the movie. The documentary, The Pursuit, is in theaters on April 29th. You uh, have sold many, many tickets, uh, and I might just buy a whole bunch myself and go just over and over again because I've read every <laughs> paragraph of this descriptor that I was sent, and I agree with every single thing you say, and I never say that to people. I, I, can, I can be confrontational and all the rest of it, but I just, I'm glad to hear there's a voice out there that's going to Harvard now, which I just found out, uh, which is terrific. 
that you make good points. You're not a jerk about it. You don't go, oh, if you don't believe this, you're an idiot. You don't do those things. You just talk in a very calm tone. I think people can learn a hell of a lot. And I have a new respect for Harvard. I will tell you that. Not that I didn't before. My my daughter's uh, father-in-law was a, uh, went to medical school at Harvard. So obviously a great university. But I love them even more now because they, they're bringing you aboard. I think it's a great idea. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. You know, I appreciate the, what the, what you're doing with your show. Um, Godspeed. It's a great message. Well, I got to reach out to you again because I want you on the morning show too. Sometime when you have, have some time, we got a pretty big audience. Got a really big audience. The morning show as well. So, I will be reaching out, Mr. Brooks. I appreciate your time today, sir. Sounds good. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, guys. And looking forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you very much. Here's a guy smarter than hell. He's got everything going for him. He's written 11 best-selling books. He's got a movie coming out. He's going to go teach at Harvard. But he's just an even-keeled, decent human being. Isn't that wonderful? Great to hear. It's a wonderful story. This made me very happy. I'm never happy. What the hell? He's ruined my life. It was. Ha- I'm very, very happy to talk to people like that. A very smart guy just going, look, I just want to... I just want to figure this out, and we, we'll talk it over, and we'll get along. It'll be great. We'll be right back in a couple of minutes with the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Cassie had to leave. Oh, Cassie had to leave? Yeah, she did. Okay, so no no music? Nope. All right, works for me. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tell me when Isaac is ready to go, and we'll be good to go. Isaac Perlitensky. Is that how you say your last name, Isaac? I want to say it correctly. Yes, that was correctly. Perlitensky. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. The books, The Laughing Guides, The Laughing Guides to a Better Life, The Laughing Guides to Change, The Laughing Guides to Well-Being, The Laughing Guide to a Better Life, Using Humor and Science to Improve Yourself, Your Relationships, and Your Surroundings. I love having you on, Isaac, because I think we've never needed this uh, more than we do now. We just uh, talked to another wonderful guest about uh, maybe getting along and, and, and 
trying to understand each other's position. Maybe we should uh, we should focus more on, on good relationships rather than just how we can make money off other people's misery. Uh, I like your points, Isaac, and I'll, I just I cannot wait to hear your take on everything. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. I think laughter is a way to get people together. It's what we call affiliative humor, humor that binds people together as opposed to separating them. Yeah, that makes total sense, and I think laughter is a great route to take. Uh, a lot of people don't have a sense of humor right now, Isaac. Uh, do, do you find that to be true as well? I do. I do. And, um, you know, it's difficult to get people to have a sense of humor when they don't have one. I think it's not something we can really teach, but rather model and you know, leave the value of humor, and hopefully other people will get the message. But it's very difficult to teach other people to have a sense of humor. I think it starts with just giving an example, you know, being a role model. Yeah. Yep. One of the greatest, uh, most clever ways that that, uh, I saw that used is uh, I I saw an interview with a – it was about politics. The the interview was about politics, and the host said to the the guest – you know, I, I don't find this to be true at all, but a lot of people say you're, you're really filled with hate and you hate a lot of things. And, and I, I just, so far, uh, talking to you, I don't see that hate coming from you. I don't see you to be hateful at all. And the guest said, yeah, I don't hate anybody. I don't know why they, I mean, you know, I don't know why they say that about me. And he says to the host, well, I hate you, but that's, you know, complete. So he used humor to talk about hatred, and it was very, very funny because he obviously didn't hate the host. He was just being a wise guy. I love the take on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, the best kind of humor, I think, in my view, is self-deprecating humor. Because you're yep. just showing the rest of the world that you can laugh at yourself. And if we could all take ourselves a little bit less seriously, I think mm-hmm. the world would be a better place. Now, Isaac, where did you grow up? Okay, so I grew up in Argentina. I moved to okay. Israel when I was 16. Then I moved to Canada after nine years in Israel. I lived in Canada for 15 years, moved to Australia, lived in Australia for three years, and then moved to Nashville, Tennessee, which, as you can tell, that's where I got my accent from. <laughs> and, Love it. And, and then I moved... Then I moved to Miami, and I've been in Miami for 13 years. When you add it all up, I'm 24 years old. You're 24 years old. That's uh, well, that works for me absolutely. Uh, where do you, where did you get your viewpoint? I mean, your mother and your father—they was humor a big part of your childhood? Yeah, yes, it was actually. My dad was a very funny guy, um, although I, I had the. The misfortune of losing my my parents when I was a little kid. They they both oh. died in a car accident when I was eight years old. Um, but I remember my dad uh, having a great sense of humor. My mom was a little stern, uh, but my dad was able to smooth things over. Um, 
with a joke, with a laugh. It was, it, it, they were both very warm people, though. And, and, you know, although I lost my parents when I was a little kid, this was actually when I was eight years old. I'm 59 now. So over mm-hmm. 50 years ago, uh, humor really helped uh, overcome difficult situations throughout my life. See, and that's exactly why I asked you the question about your background, your parents, all the rest of it, because it's very obvious that you've, you've, not only do you write the words down, you've lived these words, you've lived your life learning that laughing is a a lot better than crying, it's a a hell of a lot better than than hatred and anger, and now passing it along to other people. I think it's a wonderful idea. I think it's a great idea. Well, and you know, the idea of the book is that you can actually use humor uh, to get smarter and healthier. You know, the, the motto of the book is happier, healthier, smarter through laughter. And there is research on that. Uh, there is research showing that humor actually opens up your mind. When, when people use humor, they're more creative. They problem solve better. They come up with solutions that they couldn't have thought about without humor. So what we're doing in the book is just sharing, combining the message of humor with science and telling people you can actually use humor to become happier and healthier. That's the message. We, my wife and I are both the psychologists. We're social scientists. We study happiness and well-being. And we just want to bring this message in a light-hearted form that doesn't threaten people or doesn't put them on the defensive. And I am the first one to exemplify that. You know, I, I have a girly voice. You can't see my picture, but I have big ears. I have a lot to laugh about about myself. You, you know? I mean, I'm That's sure you can all feel like... This guy sounds like a girl. Well, you know, it's a boy, but what can I say? You know, I have a girly voice. That's that's the voice. Now you God do. Gave. Now you don't. You have a you have a very distinct. You sound a distinguished voice, as far as I'm concerned, sir. Um, do you think, without humor, you would have gotten? I mean, to lose your parents, I believe you said when you were eight years old. To lose both parents, yes. eight years old. Do you think you would have made it this far in life had you not learned to laugh? Well, let me put it this way. I've been married to my wonderful wife for 36 years. And our marriage gets better and better every year. You know, it's like wine. Um, So I don't think she would have just, she wouldn't just have married me for my looks, you know? So I I think, (laughs) I think humor, I I think humor uh, really helps me along the way. Also, it helps in the workplace. Um, I was dean of the School of Education and Human Development at the University of Miami for 11 and a half years. It's hard to work with faculty members unless you have a really good sense of humor. You know, it's hard to have conversations with a bunch of PhDs who take themselves off and way too seriously. So the answer is yes, you know, humor can carry you and can help you in difficult situations. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any, it's, it's you know, we, uh, I didn't lose both my parents when I was a little boy, but my father was institutionalized when I was young, and I did learn, 
Uh, actually, he was he was schizophrenic, and he was he was taken away actually in a straitjacket from our house. And I'll never forget my, wow. my sister, who's seven wow. seven years older than me, while he was being wheeled by. A very traumatic, a horrible event. But my sister, who's seven years older yeah. than me, turned to me and said, you know, Tommy, I think they think our dad is nuts, which made me really laugh. It was it was the right thing to do. A lot of people thought, oh, that's, not, that's very serious and shouldn't be. No, no. It really helped a little 10-year-old boy to deal with it, to laugh and say, yeah, I, I guess you're right. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. humor and laughter is the answer to everything, Isaac. I really do. Well, um it has proven, you know, there is actually research on it. It's not just common sense, but uh, humor has proven to reduce physical pain. It helps uh, with the immune system. You know, it increases the antibodies in the in our organism. It buffers against stress. It prevents burnout. It prevents actually stress from becoming depression. Uh, in a study in Japan, it was even shown that humor decreases allergic reactions. So there is a lot to be said for humor, and unlike many medications, it has no negative side effects. You know, it's all good with humor. Yeah, it does seem that Dr. Basham, you must have to deal. I, obviously, you have a great sense of humor yourself. Uh, why don't you give Isaac your take on this whole? And, and, and actually, so Isaac, you know, we we've done uh, advertising, and the advertising was specifically designed to attract people who had a good sense of humor and were laughing, because I think those people, really, uh, as a result of that humor, are best uh, suited for what I do as cosmetic surgery, and they are the they're in the best uh, they're the best candidates for that surgery because they're going to do better, they're going to heal better, and they're going to just have a better outlook on the, and they're going and they will have better results. They will have better results yes. in their eyes. It doesn't surprise me. Um, so there was the famous case of Norman Cousins who was the editor of the Saturday Review for about 30 years. And he fought arthritis uh, with humor successfully for about 16 years. You know, humor wasn't the only thing he did. He also improved his diet, nutrition, exercise. But he credits humor uh, with overcoming a very, very difficult health condition so it doesn't surprise me that your clients do better uh, when they have a sense of humor. And I think, as I said at the beginning, what humor does is it brings people together. Um, you know, it, it creates a bond. We're laughing together. We're strengthening our connection with other human beings. So this, you can't replace that, you know, the sense of love and and bonding with other people. Well, Professor, let me let me ask you this: Who, where do you turn for humor now? Who are the who are the humorists that you turn to now in, in this the twenty first century? Well, I have a few favorite authors. Um, you know, I live in Miami now, and we have the great Dave Barry, um, yeah. who's just oh, yeah. an incredible an incredible humorist and. There are no boundaries, you know, and, and I like that because humor has to be irreverent. You have to be able to laugh at yourself and laugh at anything and everybody, you know. So Dave Barry is great. I also very much like David Sedaris. 
David Sedaris is a, it's just a fantastic author. And for a while, a Time magazine was publishing Joel Stein. And unfortunately, you know, he doesn't, he's not featured on the last page of Time magazine uh, as he was. Uh, but these are just some amazing uh, humor writers. So there is a lot of talent around. And some of my favorite TV shows, uh, um, you know, The Big Bang Theory, because of the professor, and I said, you know, I can identify with geeky professors in a university <laughs> setting. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by geeks, you know, and I'm, I'm a geek myself. So, yeah, these are... Uh, and then there are some, you know, the great Nora Ephron. She passed away, unfortunately, but Nora Ephron was just an amazing writer. And I think what they, all these people have in common, um, they have a great sense of self-deprecation. Uh, and I just love that. Um, yes. You know, I'm, all, I'm also Jewish. I'm Jewish, so I have my favorite Jewish writer, Sam Levinson, who used to write 40, 50 years mm -hmm. ago. Very yep. funny guy. Um, so yeah, these are my some of my sources of inspiration. Would would you would you would you agree that humor and comedy uh, really sh are, are are now the last bastions of free speech? It, that's a good point you make. Um, I, I I have to say that they certainly uphold the value of free speech. Uh, in a way that you don't see in many other places. Um, and, you know, because I lived in other places, I can also compare and contrast. And they, for example, I, I watch Israeli TV. Uh, I, you know, I speak Hebrew, so I have Israeli TV at home. And these guys, they don't respect anybody, you know, but in a, in a loving way. So, yeah, it's all about free speech. It's, it's all about the, being able to laugh at yourself and the prime minister and the queen and the president and, and the vice president. And just, you know, regardless of your political affiliation, I think humor is a fantastic mechanism of free speech. You got it. Indeed. The Laughing Guides, a trilogy. You can go to thelaughingguide.com. Isaac Prilotensky. Isaac, you've been a great guest. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. All the best. Absolutely. All the best to you. That's going to do it. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.